I reckon you are the most famous person we've had on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. Yeah. Right, James. First of all, I am not famous in any way, shape, or form. I get I get noticed by older in Aldi at frozen food section. Um, and that's it, you know. There's no hot girls, there's no Lamborghinis, uh, there's, there's no no one stocking door off injuries, but it's just I do not get it. It's just complete. We're Phil Carr up today, me and Millie. We've been to York Designer Outlet to get some bits and bats. We're at that petrol station there. A uh, young Asian lad in the counter. And I'm sat there in the car with my head down playing on the phone. He just shouts out, Officer Ben Pearson, Officer Ben Pearson. <laughs> like, for fuck's sake, I've been retired for... Do you know what I mean? You can't... But I don't get it. But apparently this thing of this interceptors thing were massive. It was... People loved it. And I, obviously, when we're on it, we never really watched it because it were not for us. It was just like, it's like a bit of a buzzman's holiday. Yeah, so, real. Right. Are you ready to go then, lads? Is this is this episode 13, Dan? Unlucky yeah. for some. Yeah, 13. Episode 13, right. Good evening, everyone. This is More Than A Job podcast on Anchor FM. Our guest tonight is Ben Pearson, one of the stars of the Channel 5 series Police Interceptors. Ben worked as a traffic cop in the West Yorkshire Police for 19 years. He's written a book, Handcuffed Emotions, which has topped the Amazon charts in 2021. The book deals with Ben's time in the police and the effect that it had on his mental health. Ben is now a mental health campaigner and runs a YouTube channel with over 20,000 subscribers and over a million views, where he talks about the challenges of dealing with PTSD and some of the lighter moments of his time pursuing criminals. Ben Pearson, welcome to More Than A Job podcast. Thank you very much. Good afternoon, good evening, gents. Thank you for having me. Oh, you're absolutely welcome. Ben, you are the first police officer that we've ever had on the show, so we'll all be on our best behaviour tonight. <laughs> I've got to say, my kids couldn't believe it when when they were watching Police Interceptors, and I said that we got you coming on the show. Give our listeners a little bit of an overview of what you did. So, if I'm right, you left school in '92, long yeah, time ago, you? yeah, and then yeah. you joined the police. Can can you tell the viewers what you got up to in that in in the meantime? Uh, I left school and I went to prison straight away. <laughs> No, I left school and I, being honest with you, I didn't get good grades. I don't know what I was doing for my GCSEs. I had no plans. I had no knowledge of what I wanted to do or where I wanted to go. I knew I had dreams about being in police, but I just think it, it was never going to happen. I just didn't think it was ever going to happen. I started looking for jobs. And in the meantime, I started working with my father's company, Tiling. I don't know if you, if you know this or if you remember at school, I, I struggle with dyslexia. So I was always struggling at school, but you know it like then, it wasn't as up on the scale as what it is now. There were a lot of things banded around at the time, like you were thick or you just didn't pay no attention or you're easily distracted and things like that. But I struggled massively in my GCSEs and I think when I come, come out of it, I think I had seven GCSEs and I think the highest one were grade D. I got a U in German. I didn't even know you could get a U. <laughs> and the German teacher, can't remember her name, but she just said, she don't ever come back. You're just that bad, you don't, <laughs> don't ever come back. So I was selling motorbikes at the time, and the more people I sold motorbikes to, it, it was bizarre. They were all police officers. And there was a gentleman who was chief superintendent in North Yorkshire, and he says, have you ever thought about applying? And I was like, no, no, because I, I struggled to, I'm being honest, I struggled to read and write at the time. I'd never used a computer. But talking, I could always talk to people. So he says, you should really consider it. So I put my 
application form in and about five weeks later I got an interview went for an interview in a carousel passed the carousel passed the fitness test and went for another interview in a um is aptitude aptitude test aptitude test or something like that I know it sounds stupid it was things like pulling a pulling a nail out wall which I'm old to use you've got four square pegs and little bits of taken on top which one goes in all and it was all timed and things like that and then they just basically sent me a letter back saying congratulations start on october 1st 2001 you called them as 1965 and you were based at keefler and i'm not joking i have always had this thing of i'm sure there were a ben parsons and a ben pearson and i'm sure the drop files and his pictures went across and it's pretty it's good lad is isn't it plays cricket plays football i'm like no i don't <laughs> that must be someone else. And he's looking at his other like, he sells more bikes. There's no way he's coming in a place. So that's how sort of like my police career took off. And the thing is that the top brass always want you to do. I always got told when you go in, put your head down, don't do anything, make a name for yourself. The only way you make a name for yourself is by soaking it up as a sponge, listening and learning. So I got in, first two years I had made down and I just learned and learned and learned. So that's sort of like where I, I learned how to do the job, push certain boundaries to the side and then I went out shipwag hunting really I went out looking for criminals thieves burglars and that's where I sort of like succeeded I made a, a reputation for myself 19 years in and it all came crashing down due to the level of what I've seen you you thrust into the the darker side of life you thrust into things that no one normally sees does or hears you go to bed with your your missus your, your husband whatever it is and you go to sleep, you wake up at nine in the morning, seven in the morning, whatever, you make your coffee and that's it. Three o'clock in the morning, we're wrestling in your back garden with a bloke who's just been in robbed grandma's house, sexually touched an infant and then he's run off and we've tackled him, disarmed him, he's headbutted me, slashed me with some hurt. Ten o'clock in the morning, I get home, bus nose, marks all over me, go to bed. Then nine o'clock that night, I'm back on shift. And that's what people don't seem to gather and understand uh, this is 365 days. This is Christmas Day, Boxing Day, New Year's Eve, my birthday, my partner's birthday, my children's birthday. And I buzzed off it. It was brilliant. So you talked about when you were at school and obviously it's clear that academically you struggled and it wasn't identified properly at school as it would be now. Did you have favourite subjects at school? And in the education that you did enjoy, how do you think it actually prepared you for life? Um, at the time, I, basically, I loved art. Uh, I studied drama. Um, again, all like hands-on kind of things, kind of uh, anything to avoid using one of these pens that I've got in my hand. If, if you show me one of them, I'm like, oh, no, please. But if you show me to do something with my hands or... Uh, uh, I've got no sort of like fear. I could stand up in a room of 1,500 people and just talk or dance or act. But then if you put a pen in front of me and say, spell kaleidoscope, I'd be like, I'd just go into tunnel vision. I'd start checking. I wouldn't know what we're doing. As, when I look back at school, I had a bloody good time. I didn't have a, oh, it was horrible. I got bullied. I did get bullied, but a lot of people got bullied. And it were only, you were only getting bullied by people that you know. It was just childish stuff that you did, but as it prepared me for for where I am now, no, it, it hadn't done, but it did the best it could have done at the time. You obviously worked for West Yorkshire Police for, for 19 years as a police constable. 
what were the main issues with young people that you face? And along with that, I'm sure, you know, I'm sure you've got colleagues who you're still in touch with now. Do you feel that respect from young people is declining towards the police and other public institutions? When I walk to school now to pick my kids up and I wear a hoodie and I walk past another lady, I still think they'll look at me and go, but he was wearing hoodies. You know, and it, well, when we were younger, it were all that. Oh, look at look at these lot all hanging around street corners. We always found something to do. We used to create our own fun, but we never caused trouble. We were never these bad people. We were never these. We never put windows through. And then when we did meet police, we, we'd always yes sir, no sir. And it, it's just instilled in a, in a how you brought up just to show people respect. If I saw one of my nan's friends, and I'd be like yes miss or yes madam or uh, yes sir. I just you're just nice. You're just a nice person. And no way I'd tell anyone to wear off or whatever. The thing that I've always found with young kids is criminals and bad kids were always 9, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night, were always roaming streets at 11 year old, 12 year old. They were always bored. They had never had all to do with, but they always blamed someone for not, well, there's no to do. Government will give me all to do. There's not, well, what do you mean there's no to do? There's always something to do. You live in a wild world where you can go on Google, you can go on everything you want, you can find anything at such a finger. I never had Google. I, I never had internet. I had, uh, you know what I mean? I remember having three channels. I remember when Channel 4 came out. Then I remember when Channel 5 came out. And then I remember when Dad got Sky... <laughs> I know you're laughing. But I remember when Dad got Sky TV. And I think Sky TV only had like 26 channels. And then now they've got thousands of channels. They've got every game you can think of on every device you can think of. You've got phones that talk to watches. You've got, I mean, the only person that had a watch like that was David Asseloff on Night Rider. He was the only one that had a watch that could talk to someone, no one else. So it's like now you've got watches that talk to phones, you can WhatsApp speak. How can someone be bored in this day and age? But the way I've said it before as well is I think we've gone too, uh, when I were in the police, I think we've gone too far as an organisation as well. I'm concerned about my neighbours. Why are you concerned about my neighbours? Well, they're making a fracas. So you go around, I'm not being funny, they're having sex. Right, I want to make a complaint, they're too loud. So then you've got to put a, a complaint on as a, do you see what I mean? Rather than saying, no, we only investigate crime and we only uphold the law and then protect life and limb, it's not to do with us. We went too far. So now people, like when you see all these rallies down in London where they think they can just go up and smack a police officer in the face and they think they can just throw stuff, damage a police car. And it's like, there's no consequences. Well, you can't touch me, I'll sue. There are also a level of where you had respect and I just don't think the children have got respect anymore. And I think the ones that do have respect are always inside the house. So you'd never meet them anywhere. You'd never have anything to do with them. Go on, Dan. Why do you think they haven't got respect anymore? But I just think we're getting into a society where people think they're entitled to things. I just think everyone feels they're entitled to, well, I'm either offended because the sky's blue and clouds are white, or that music's too loud and I don't like that words he's saying in music, or there's always someone else to blame. Yeah, I'm entitled to this. Like when we used to go around to um, lock people up and the the breach the bail, they'd be on a tag. The breach the bail to go to the post office on Thursday night at midnight because they get the dough. But they'd be saying, "Yeah, but it's my money. I'm entitled to this money. It's mine. It's owed to me." Well, why is it your? It's not your money. It's government's money, and the government are looking after you. So people just have this thing where they're entitled to. You'll give me a house. You'll pay for me. I don't have to get a job. I don't have to respect anybody because I'm not going to get anywhere in life. So I teach my kids when they go to school in the morning, first thing I always say to Isaac before he goes into school, what are you going to be? And he says, kind. And I say, what do you show? And he says, respect. And he gives me a kiss and he walks in. 
if someone comes to our house, he's like, hiya, nice to meet you, I'm Isaac. How is that hard to install goodbye yous on children nowadays where you go outside and one of the last kids I ever dealt with, he said, office, officer. So I put window down and he went, he went, respect. So I went, respect. And he went, eject. And then he ran off. And I'm like, it's four year old. What? <laughs> I'm not being funny. What are you doing out on the street, sir? And what, how do you know what that is at four year old? Just, to, just for the for the, the listeners, obviously, they can't see. So when, when the kid said eject to, to Ben, he stuck his middle finger up. And that was the, <laughs> that was the thing. When His Royal Highness Prince Philip died, I think this is just an example. Come back to your message of, in, of entitlements. There were more complaints that the BBC suspended its viewing to pay tribute to, to Prince Philip more than any other thing that anyone yeah. ever complained about. But to make it worse, the BBC created a special page to register these darn complaints. It's a yeah. very simple thing. Turn the TV off. Yeah, Where don't, don't start me on this. Don't start yeah. me on this. I, I, no, I, I remember years ago where, uh, oh God, I want to say 93, 94, Chubby Brown brought out a video and I'd never known Chubby Brown. It was my mate bought this video and I remember him playing it. Uh, and it, it, obviously I've never heard so many profanities and disgusting. I never use language like that. It's disgusting. And I remember him playing it and then there was something not so long since about uh, someone went to see Chubby Brown and they made complaints because he was racist, homophobic and he swore too much. And I said, well, what are you going to go say? How? What, what are you buying tickets for Chubby Brown? It's not because you're buying them because you want to go see a fat bloke who's covered in brown paint. It's not that. He's a, he's a comedian. So why are you complaining about these people? And he, he does it. But then he goes home to his wife and his kids and his family. It's not like he's walking around the streets being like this. He's just he's acting about being a comedian. But if you don't like it, turn it off. If you don't like it, put the radio on. But people, again, this is where I see things. People think they're entitled to... Leave school, you need to get a job, right? I'll go get a job because that's what we had to do. If you don't go get a job, you do not have any money. If you don't go get a job, you do not have any money. You cannot buy a car and you cannot fuel that car, tax that car, insure the car. People leave school now, get dull, I'm going to go get a car. And oh, come on, officer, I can't afford to insure it. Well, don't have a, you can't have a car if you can't insure it. Just for the listeners, Ben's moaning about YouTube, and we've just surpassed a million views on YouTube. And on one of the videos, Ben, you do watch yourself on Place Interceptors. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll, now's a good time to mention your videos, because what Ben does is, and, and, and there's obviously the serious edge to it, because, because you're talking about mental health, and we're going to come on to mental health. Just for the listeners on, on More Than A Job podcast, Ben's got about seven or eight videos now, isn't it, Ben, that you've got yeah. up? And yeah. and it's basically you talking about some of the issues with with mental health, some of the really tragic incidents that you've been to, and how it impact impacted on you. But then you've also thrown in, which I think is really clever, and and, and makes the channel gives it that extra dimension. You've thrown in some stories that are just plain funny. I mean, I've learned from it. You don't like quad bikes, mate, do you? Um, no, especially they've got balaclavas on. Look, it's a dickhead on a quad with a balaclava. <laughs> If any of our listeners, listen, go and watch Ben on YouTube because it is, and you'll learn a lot about being in the police. You, you know, obviously the mental health element, really important. And I, and I think teachers can learn from that as well. Just coming back onto this issue of respect, from the perspective of a police officer and of a parent, so you've got two young kids, is there anything that you'd like to see schools do differently? Is there anything that winds you up as a parent or as a police officer about what schools do? First thing is, this is, this is not my, my schools. First thing that really bags me off about it 
each school is teaching kids that police are bad. If you don't learn, police are going to come take you away. Well, first of all, we're not. Second of all, people, parents dumping their cars outside schools. You know what I mean? School Schools obviously need to make some, some adjustments for a thousand kids or whatever all getting dropped off at 10 to 9. I also think that you know, I think kids need to be aware that not just the, the police, but I think ambulance, fire and everyone, doctors, nurses, teachers, everyone that works in that, you know, same under, umbrella, we're only doing what we're doing because we want to give something back. And no matter why you want to be a teacher, you, you're teaching for a reason, aren't you? You're either teaching because you got drunk one day, went in a university class, went in at wrong one, and you thought, well, it seems easy as this. Or you thought, I want a passion for teaching children. I liked helping people. And that's so back to what I was going to say about the, the YouTube thing. The only reason we started that is to get the stories out to make people. So it's, it's not a career for me. It's not a, about that for me. It's basically, it's, it's just getting the word out for mental health. And so this is where I'm going to take it. What so? Only the other week we had dinner with the Shadow Home Secretary because the videos have now reached Parliament themselves. So the people down there are watching and the Shadow Home Secretary has contacted the local MP and says, I want to meet Ben because we're trying to do... Uh, there was a police covenant coming in at a place about minimum standards for police mental health care and what we can do to protect these officers. So I want schools to be aware of that. It's not only about grades, it's about dedication and it's about life and it's about pushing yourself to maximum you can be. I want to see schools pushing. It doesn't matter where you go. It doesn't matter what you do. But you, there's no point doing something at an half-assed level. You need to push yourself to the maximum you can be. And that's the only reason why I'm I'm going down this journey I'm going down now. Because if I don't give something back to the people that have helped me, if I don't give something back to the people that have shown me why or where I've gone wrong with the mental health journey, I'd be failing and I don't want to fail and I don't want to let people down. And that's like yourself as teachers. You must be upset if you teach or teach someone. You can tell them that off. You must be upset if you taught someone and you found out later on in life, because we've all been to school with those people where they've either overdosed, they're all locked up or they've done something wrong or they're not there anymore. It must be frustrating for you because all you want to do, you want those people to leave school, don't you? And you want them to succeed. In whatever they do, even if they don't have a job, but they come a house, start and they have a family in and they've succeeded in their own bubble, that's all you want them to do. And I think, I don't know what it's like at your schools or how people are taught, but I want to see more of that saying, even if you don't do brilliant because you're not brilliant at being educated, you can still succeed in life. Do you know what I mean? And you succeed by dedication and pushing yourself forward. Does that sound right? Or does that sound stupid? Because I've got a lot of words wrong there, aren't I? You know what I mean? Teach does something new. Okay, you can cut <laughs> that bit out. <laughs> teach them. them. <laughs> I speak much better English than you do. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I was going to say back earlier on as well, when you were going on about um, all those TV channels, you go, oh, you know, we only have three TV channels. Well, don't crap on Channel 5 because if one for them, we wouldn't know who you are, Ben. No, um, exactly. No, that's what I mean. <laughs> so you've talked about it a few times. Or you've made reference to it, obviously, all the work you're doing now with mental health since your retirement from the police. So can you tell us what it is that you are actually doing and, and what you're inspired to do? And also, what advice would you give for educational professionals who are beginning to feel their mental health suffering? So basically, I, I'm one of these people, I didn't know I was poorly. 
and you've got no label to say you are poorly. You do not come to go to doctors and doctors say, yeah, you are poorly. It doesn't work like that. All illness builds up over a certain amount of time and it starts off at a strings level. It's little things like just feeling a bit uncomfortable. You know, I just can't seem to get comfy. My neck hurts a little bit. And it goes on and it goes on. So if you watch one of my videos, it's, I give an analogy about a backpack getting full and it's equivalent to having a backpack and putting some stones in it. So just say, for instance, I don't know how you work. Your boss has come in today and say, oh, look, someone's coming to visit us, work schools in special measures or whatever it is. You're teaching this, this, that, and all that. More stuff goes in your backpack at the same time. You're going to, you're going to move out, more things in your backpack. You're having a ding-dong with missus, more things in your backpack. Your, man, your nam's just passed away, more things. So your backpack's getting heavier. So you notice that you're getting lethargic. You notice that you're getting... No matter how much sleep you're having, it's not enough. You're sat in class and you're yawning more, your diet's off. These little things that you need to realise, they're not because you're lazy, you're not because you're fat and you're not going to the gym. They're because there's things eating away at you and your brain literally does not know how it's dealing with these things. So it basically, it's starting to shut down and it says, look, the only way I can deal with this, go to sleep and then I'm going to try and repair my body. You're tired, I'm going to try and repair this. What you put in your mouth ain't good enough for you. And so in simple words, your brain is not your friend. Let me just take you what roughly happened. I'll just fly through it quickly. Um, 19 years of sweeping kids up, babies up, people with shovels, you know, putting them in bin liners, just horrendous, horrendous things you should never see. New Year's Eve, me, my mum had a, um, I think it were a, a bladder, a bladder or something like that burst, and it basically poisoned her. 11 days later, we switched the life support and turn the bend off and it was my decision that I gave the nod. So I've, I've put that in my backpack and walked around with that guilt and I've never dealt with it. So what police say, and teachers might be saying, we put stuff in a little black box, we put it into a deep darker base, we put it on the shelf, we lock that door and we never talk about it again. So my shelf was getting full and full and full. And two weeks after my mum's funeral, first day back at work, got told to go and hide. First job that came in were a two-year-old fatal. They gridded me on GPS. So I said, look, you're at scene, can you go? We'll get someone to leave you. As soon as I drove towards scene, I said, don't go, it's a two-year-old boy, he's just been run over by a truck, he's got no head. I will pull into the scene, uh, got out of the car, and like an elastic band across my chest, just went right tight, felt like a walking through treacle, and I just burst into tears. I just don't know why I burst into tears. So I know why now, because I haven't dealt with anything from the past, let alone my mum. I'm back at work, I've got this, I was sent straight back to Nick, left in the office, just crying in the office, no one to talk to. No, come at work next day. That's it. You dealt with fatal, 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 fatal. Assault, stabbing, rape. You get beat up yourself. Pig, pig, pig. You know, you job shit, get a real job, blah, blah, blah. Negative, negative, negative. Within six months, dad said he had terminal cancer. Six months later, held his hand at Christmas and he died. Back to work. Fatal, 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 fatal. And then I got out of the car one day, um, a bump, something and nothing, smart as a little bump, got out of the car. As soon as I opened the car door and stepped out, when they say you've had a break, breakdown, flick switch, head's gone, whatever you want to call it, that were it. So I knew I were in uniform, I knew the police car, I knew what I was seen, but I didn't know who I was, I didn't know what was going on and that sort of thing. Now, if I look back and I had someone like me now saying to you, right, step back, this is what's gone on. You are now feeling lethargic, aren't you? Yeah, you are now feeling like you're isolating yourself from your team. You are now feeling this. Is that right? Yeah, right. You are going down on stages now of depression to severe depression and anxiety because you're shaking when I'm talking. I can see you're shaking. Yeah, yeah. 
how's your breathing doing? I feel like I can't get right. This is what's going to be going on now. You need to see a doctor. I had nothing. I was saying calm, rubbing my hands and rocking backwards and forwards. Extra Romeo 1 2, we've got a knockdown. Yeah, I'm on my way. I'm on my way. I look up down the front of the car bonnet. I'm driving 150 mile an hour in supercar, trying to drive to a scene. I'll be going through junctions, going beep beep. And I'm like, what's he on about? And I'd gone through a red traffic light at 80 mile an hour. I just wasn't seeing things. And every time I got to a pressure situation, I blacked out. But I didn't know I blacked out. But basically, my brain was getting so compact and I wasn't dealing with what I was dealing with. I just shut off. And then my brain goes, right, you've gone through that. So hopefully through traffic lights, 80, 90 miles, I went through red lights and I just black out. I don't know if I passed out. I don't know what I do, put my head up. So all these little things are what we are trying to achieve now. So like yourselves, I don't know how it, again, I don't know how it compares to the teaching, but these are little things you need to be asking yourself. How is your sleeping? Do you really get eight hours a night? Are you going to bed at one in the morning because you're doing lesson planning and you're waking up at six? And you're running around trying to get your tie on, feed kids, do this, shouting at this, that, and other. Have you ever taken time out? And Well, I can't lie, it's too busy, but have you ever taken time out from your daily routine and thought, am I acting how I should be acting as a normal person? Then you'll say, well, what is a normal person? Well, if you think that how you're acting is not right, that is not a normal person. And your mind then is not being your friend. And it's little things because you get, you all do it, you all do it, you'll get blase about who you are and what you do as a job. Every day, get up, go, I'm not car. You're right, Darren, you're right, Scott, you're right, Paul, yeah, how's the day been? You're crap, we're getting all the staff room, bit of meal down, just a bit tight, a bit of indigestion, you know, get a McDonald's in me quickly. Right, class, sit down. And your body's just doing this routine over and over and over again. And you need to step back. Now, I only the only reason I tell you this is because I couldn't get any better while I were in the police. And it was only when I came out of the police, I could see myself as a third person. And that sounds stupid. I've seen my kids cry because I've been angry. I've seen my partner distance herself because I've been upset and cold. I've seen my friends not talk to me because of who I am as a person. It's not my fault. I am mentally ill. I cannot stop me being mentally ill. This is how I am. But what I can do is I can put my hand up and I can say I've got an issue. I can then turn around to you and say, hi, Michael, not seeing you in 28, 29 years. If for any reason I upset you, it's because it's not a green card. I don't want any excuses. I don't want you to forgive me, but I'm just, I'm learning. So what my journey is now is trying to get this in place for all the new starters that come into the police, written into law, that you will have so much mental health training. And I'm not on about the these mamby-pamby things that you might go on, you know, and we all go on them like a training day. And we put 20 minutes training into eight hours, don't we? And we're on about proper, proper journey, mental health journey, as in like speaking about why, what, how it all happened, what I did do and what I didn't do. And I'm not just talking about me. There's so many bobbies. There's so many paramedics, doctors, teachers that have all been through stuff. If we can get that written into law and then every year, You've got to do your batting cuffs training. You've got to do your driver refresher. You've got to do your blue light refresher. You've got to do all these things. Why does not a sergeant and inspector that might have 20 people on a team have to do two, two days strict medical, so like mental health refresher? You've got to do your first aid course to do CPR on someone when they're dying. What is the difference between speaking to Barry, who just comes in and says, I want the two hours time off, boss. The next morning he's found swinging from a, a rope in his kitchen. It happens, there's so many bobbies committing suicide. 
I've worked with a lot of hobbies that aren't here anymore, and some of them have been young in the 30s, and they've just gone out and committed suicide. And it's gone to the point where you were working with them, you said, did you not see it? Well, you were acting a bit differently, but I just didn't know. But if you can take a step back, you can see signs are so easy to see. I can see them in so many people now. I'm just going to jump in, if possible, Ben. In your book, Handcuffed Emotions of Police Interceptors Driving to Darkness, you, you say in the initial synopsis, the system failed me. So what did fail and what do you, do we need to do to fix that system to prevent you know further yeah. upsets or, or just and uh, overcome the stigma of mental health? I'll go into that bit first. Then, in regards to the system, the system failed because they, they, were, they offered other bobbies different things to what they offered me. Then they put me in the same queue as what they put Barry in. I don't know who this Barry is, but I just like, I'm just keeping calling him Barry. But Barry's gone out on a on a on a rest day and he's been jogging and he's sprained his ankle and he's damaged his tendons in his knee. I don't know what they're called, but these tendons in his knee. I go into the same list as Barry. So Oki Alpha going through forms and they'll say. Right, we've got a, a, a meeting for you, Barry. Four weeks next Tuesday, and then Ben's next on list. But Ben's suicidal. I had to ring Oki Elf up and HR up and say on phone, "Right, I'm going to hurt myself now. You have now got a duty of care. I'm in this office in this room. I'm going to hurt myself. I need that appointment. Put phone down. Within about thirty seconds, phone rings. Got an appointment next day. Why did it take nearly a month to get that appointment? What were they doing in the office to get that appointment? When I were already on this scale, they were already looking, they were already aware of what had happened to my mum, my dad. They were already aware that I suffered from kidney issues. They were already aware that I were on, on the tablets for depression and anxiety. They were already thinking that I'm crying all the time at work. And where's the nurse for us? Where's the, the person, the psychiatrist? So, And the reason being is because people are scared, as you said, about the managed training. People that I work so hard to get in traffic I worked so hard to get every single qualification up to Vipex where you're Royal Outrider and you're escorting Queen and Prime Ministers. I go in the office, there's something wrong with me, I'm feeling a bit suicidal. You're straight out, straight out of traffic, straight out, you lose all your qualifications, lose your driving permits, lose everything you do. And you put in an office counting paper clips and putting tags in a map, you know, about where you parked the traffic car. And that's it, you're done. And then the map sends you a false call centre where you're answering 99 calls and you're done, you're out. But, and that's why people refuse to speak up because they're petrified of what the system will do. I like to see, but I'd also like to see things brought in the schools because I think the stigma is the word mental health or mentally ill. That's the stigma. Where if you turn around and there's like, I'm not saying distressed or you can turn these words around to be usable for children, to be usable for people at a younger age. I mean, I don't know what age you teach sex education now or whatever you call it now. Or, but there's, there's been talks, aren't there, about what age is the right age to do this and do that. Well, mental health now is getting at the forefront of nearly everything. One in five police officers have got PTSD. I think 500,000 people committed suicide last year uh, through Samaritan's uh, website about how many people have, have died. So more people have technically died from that than they have COVID. COVID's all over news, but they don't talk. It's just not talked about. What is wrong with us sitting in the pub now and saying, I'm struggling? It's, it's funny, Ben, we all, we all do a similar job, a pastoral role, and we, especially me, James and Mike, we've been together doing the same job for four years, 
and, and we're a very very tight team and, and others that are part of our our core team and we do rely upon one another we do talk to one another and we've got that support because there are some days where that are absolutely they, they, it feels shit when you're in the bubble it, it feels awful and we've got one another but yeah. we also receive an, an awful lot of unfair criticism in, in how, how we deal with the students or that everyone thinks our job's cushy because we have less teaching time. Now, what we do, and, and Mike's the biggest advocate of this, is making these reasonable adjustments, for, again, for the kids. And we spoke to Edward Timpson MP a, a few weeks ago, and he said when he was Minister for Children, he had a piece of paper or, on his whiteboard that just said, you know, would this be good enough for my children? And we try and do that as well. You know, as, how can we as adults expect to handle mental health if, we, if we're criticising other adults in education for supporting students and making reasonable adjustments? Kids are exposed to so, so much, aren't they now? Now you are, and this is what I wanted to, to jump in, you are so exposed 24-7. Police officers, it's, it's good and bad, the body cams and the mobile phones. We have exposed, you know, the, the, the horrendous side of the police, the murder of George Floyd. And, and I saw, again, America, horrific footage on Sky News today of some American police in the um, in the police station laughing at the body cam of that lady with dementia who was it's rescued. Older. Yeah. It, it, that just makes me sick that, you know, they deserve just to rot in a cell. But has that yeah. made... Did that make your job harder? I know it's ironic because you had a film crew with you, but did that make your job or does it make your job and your colleagues' jobs harder by having that constant 24-7 snapshot? I don't even know what the point is, really. I'm just sort of just sort of going on. But just, no, it's good. I know what you mean. I know what you mean. This, this technology, the impact it has on everyone's mental health. Yeah. I mean, like you said, it, everywhere everywhere you go, like there was someone in interceptors that you probably have seen, People just literally get the phone out and stick in your face. So we just used to think it was funny, even though we've got a camera crew behind us and there's millions of people watching. We just get our phones out and stick it right in their face and say, "You don't like it here." But then you, you can't film me. Well, you can't film me. Well, I'm filming you just in case. But I've got a camera crew here filming from millions of people. You've probably got like six people that you're going to show this to. You know, when you're down at local takeaway, whatever it is, there's a constant level you've got to live to, and you've got to strive to. You can't just put stuff on Facebook about you getting your ass out with your mates in in Weatherspoons at four in the morning because someone's going to rag you over calls. You can't say this to so-and-so because you're going to be classed as being abusive, offensive or whatever. And it is an hard life that we live to because, like you said, taking back what you were saying about kids, there's so many things now like kids are getting bullied online. Kids are getting trolled online. And it's like, well, you can just switch it off. Just switch off, but then you can't because it's so ingrained in children nowadays to be online, to have a profile, to have this, to have that, and they don't want to be. I'm not being funny. Go and get in your BMX and come play out the street. Whoa, 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 no, that's not good for my profile. I'm on Snapshot. I'm on this. I'm on that. I'm on this, and, and like we've got thirty different platforms to go through, all uploading the same image or, and uploading the same status, but just on a different profile thing on a different. And then, like I said, if someone puts something negative, I'm being bullied now. I'm being bullied. And it's like what people need to be doing is not getting into that mentality of letting people do it. If you don't like them, delete them, block them, whatever, or come off it. But this is what we're saying about what stuff should be brought in, not just to school level, but talking about, like I said, sexual education, mental health, but learning, teaching kids how to feed the way through life now where what happens, why bullies actually bully. Because what they do is they just literally, they're weak, they're scared, 
Um, they, they're not in control of what they want to do and they want to take out on somebody else. And that's what simple what thing why people bully and why people troll. All these beautiful girls that get called fat and you, you're, you're ugly and stuff like that. That's probably Dennis that, who lives in Nottingham above a takeaway in a flat and he's wearing a pack of mac and eating digestive biscuits. He hasn't been out for a hot meal in like three months. And you're like, you know what I mean? Come on, lad, get a grip of yourself. This woman's beautiful. And no, she's a troll. They're all keyboard warriors. But what you need to teach your kids is that you need to think one step further than this. You need to be on the, rather than be the victim, you need to be above the victim. And this is what I always say, you know, you look at, is it Serengeti? You look at 10,000 buffalo in the wild. The, the lion looks for the weakest one at the back with its head down. Don't look for one at front with its head up walking around. Everyone's on the same level. Everyone's on the same playing field. But be in control of who you are. Let them know that just because a bully comes to them. You don't have to control you. You don't have to control what you do. And that's how we turned it around. We were always getting camera put in his face. But we're like, well, hang on a minute. We've got a body cam. That body cam is my gold. I don't care what people have filmed me doing, but what's on my body cam is what CPS will look at and what will go on. Because you've all got those footages of, I don't know if you saw it, there were an artifact Bobby strangling a, a big Asian lad at the side of a car and he put him in a bit of a sleep hole. But when you watch the actual footage, this lad's trying to knock hell out of the Bobby. Bobby's done a little bit of martial arts. Bobby traps him, takes him down. So, well, I'm sorry, but when you do hand-to-hand combat in police and you do your PSU and you do your batting and cuff training in your hand schools, they basically say, I'm not being funny, but if it works, you do it. So he's worked, he's done it, and he's, he's criticised. You can't see on that video what he's saying. He might be saying, get back, stay back, do not come near me. That's your gold dust. And I'll give you an example as well. The first day body cams ever came out, I had a pursuit. So I ran this car, got this lad locked up, youngish lad. And we had those lads on the other side, going, whoa, whoa, I shagged your mum, I've done this, I've done that, I bet you take it up, boom, I bet. You know, it's all sorts of crap. What you, and you're like, fuck off. Anyway, sergeant said, sergeant goes, body cams, boop, boop, body cams on. I'm thinking like, you're, just, you're getting recorded, this is going to go to CPS. So I'm watching this lad. And then I turn around and he's actually come to about 15 feet. Now I'm six foot two and I'm 17 stone. But, not to 60 and 15 to 20 feet, I'm really fast. Oh, after that, I'm, I'm on my ass. I, that's why I never play rugby. But like not to 60 in 15, 20 feet, I'm really quick. This lad's like 17 and he's going, I fucked your mom, I fucked, come on, what are you going to do about it? And you know when you keep going, go on, go on, like that. And he kept on like running back and like deciding to run across the road. And I just turned and he was there. So I just turned and I thought, right, I'm going to get you. So he said to the sergeant, I'm going to fucking... As soon as he said that, I just set off running. And as soon as that one foot, two foot, and I closed gap and I was there, and I saw it, rugby tackled him. But as soon as rugby tackled him, I went, fucking get some, you bastard. And it come on, it come on, body cam. So literally, you can't hear all he's saying, and all you see is me run across, get this young lad on the floor, lift him up, slam him in the floor, fucking get some, you bastard. And I've locked him up. It had to go to court. And first thing they showed what body camera he got. And I'm like, what do you say? You can't cover it up. So what do you mean? Fucking get some. Well, like, I was angry. You don't swear like that in public. I don't swear in public. And you've got to justify your actions. But as long as you justify your actions, you're fine. But it just goes to show that when one thing that's on there isn't the same as what's happening in real life. But they've got to always go what's on there, not what someone's filming. What, because you can hear what you're saying, you can hear what you're doing. And that tells a thousand words. Everything that happens on there tells a thousand words. And it is a brilliant world out there. It's fantastic. The technology we've got is brilliant. But it's not a safe world and it's not a kind world. 
and they need to be taught how to look after themselves properly. And the way the way that you you, you know you, you describe your struggles with mental health, and then the, the way that you're able to then intertwine a funny story into things. I think I think people who have commented on your, your YouTube channel have said you tell it as it is, and a lot of a lot of ex police, a lot of current police have said you're standing up for us for for our mental health. But you're also there's a lot of members of the public who I think. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if the police offer you a job back as some kind of advocate or public speaker because you are doing, I think, a great job for police relations because you're a normal guy. You know, like like you said, you swear. You know, you you don't mind your p's and q's, but I think the public really respect that. And yeah. I, I think I think when you you know a lot of the comments that that I've read on your YouTube channel, I'll just just for the for the listeners again. I know you don't want the celebrity status and you try and shy away from it, but over a million views on YouTube. People are saying, you know, you're doing such a great job speaking up for the police. And I think you should be doing more and more of it. I wish you could come on every week because, I mean, we, we, we could go on for hours and hours. But I think the mental health stuff is massively important. Would you come back in six months and, and come on again on, on more than a yeah, job? Definitely. Because yeah, it's just yeah. it's just it, it's fascinating listening to your take on things. And I, I think, you know, we mentioned it at the start. I was obviously at school with you, but I'm, I'm really proud. I really was watching you on the show. The other thing I'd like you to come on the show on, you know, as a police officer, it's talking how to de-escalate situations, something we have to do in schools all the time. But I don't see any reason why a police officer shouldn't talk about how to do something in school, because I think it's a similar kind of technique. Can we move on to some fun questions? Yeah. Is that all right? Because sure. we, we finish the podcast every every week. We, we finish with some fun questions. I mean, these might wind you up more than the serious questions, to be honest with you. Yeah. So first of all, you, you can't take any time to think about it and you can only answer with one word and we're looking for a quick response. Electric cars. Shit. Speed cameras. Shit. <laughs> no, <let> me... <laughs> Quad bikes. Dickheads. Caravans. Brilliant. Boy racers. Chavs. Right, you've, you, you've passed that one. You've passed the short <laughs> question. Right, mo- moving on now. Some short questions for you, Ben. Do you keep ketchup in the cupboard or in the fridge? Cupboard. Tea or coffee? Tea. Bit Yorkshire and Tetley. Oh, yes. Depends where we're feeling, but Yorkshire and Tetley. But you, you won't realise this, Ben. This, this really winds me up. I have Yorkshire tea bags, but not Yorkshire water. And it's oh. not the same. It's not. It's not. And you've got to leave it for exactly five minutes in part. There's this case studies on it. It's, it's a lot. It's, it's, it's happened. Ben, Spotify or any other music provider that you use, what's your top artist, your favourite artist? Oh, God. Right. Can I have... I've just got the one. Yeah, I'm going to put you on the spot. Die straights. Adidas or Nike? Nike. Okay. This is the biggest question of all. There won't be a bigger one. The Bill or Line of Duty? Right. Line of Duty, because I've just started watching it and I can't understand what everyone on about. Line of Duty, Line of Duty, Line of Duty. I'm not watching it. Line of Duty. Started watching it. I'm obsessed. I'm on season three now and I'm I'm obsessed. I don't know who's done the police talking about, you know, advisory for like the scenes and things like that because it's just like so far-fetched, but the story's brilliant. Yeah, really good. We're going to come and meet you at the pub. What drink are you ordering? And I'm still... Or, it depends, if I'm feeling fat and bloated, I'll have a, a rum, spice rum, coke and lime. Next question. Right, police room 101. A couple of weeks ago, we did teaching room 101. What we'd get rid of in teaching? Uh, we'll do police. What would you get rid of in the police? D. 
diesel Volvos. Fucking hate diesel Volvos. <laughs> Why whoever bought them needs sacking. It's, I mean, how can you have a traffic car that's a diesel Volvo? It's just, I think we once responding down um, Air Valley Trunk Road in a micropastors. <laughs> so yeah, diesel Volvos. Ben, if you had a time machine and you could go back to any point in history, where would you go? What would you go to to, to revisit and, and witness? Oh, Christ. Yeah. You can tell your teachers, can't you? Oh, God. I'm going to make this really, really simple. I want to go to when my granddad was in his early 20s and meet my granddad and my great-granddad. Um, obviously, my great-granddad died before I was born, but it were really influential around Bailden at the time. Um, and we've named my son after him. And I just heard so much about him growing up as a kid. I would have said Birth of Christ or... Do you know what I mean? Something, something really, really good. But no, I just, I'll probably just go back there and just sit with them and have a, have a beer with them or something like that on Bale the Moor and just sit and talk. Final question, very final one. What's the best piece of advice that you've ever been given? Apart from um, don't eat yellow snow or sit down with a light bulb in your back pocket, <laughs> um, never settle for second best. You can be what you want to be and you can do what you want to do. And if you want to reach for stars, go for them. Who gave and you that? Both my dad and my granddad. So I think my granddad had probably given it to my dad. And then my dad obviously said to me, you can do what you want to do. If you want to do it, reach for stars, go get it. There's no point being second best in your own life, is there? What you want to do is you want to, if you want to do it, you go do it. Ben, it's, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast. And like, like I said, you're more than welcome to come back. I know you're really, really busy with the stuff that you're doing at the moment. And But I, I felt like talking to you tonight, there's so much more to talk about. You know, we, we wouldn't want to cram it into just one episode. I mean, it, it's I think as you were talking about your mental health uh, issues and what the police can do, I think it's wider than that. I think you've probably got a wider job because I think it's all public services, probably even wider than just public services. So what, what started off as you dealing with mental health and the police might end up spiralling because the way that you communicate how you dealt with it or how you didn't deal with it, so to speak, I think probably speaks for millions of people in this country. And the way that you do it in a down-to-earth way, I think really connects. And, and I really appreciate, and I know all the lads will as well, the, the fact that you're giving up, what, nearly two hours of your time because, you you know, you okay. have to high price. I'm off. <laughs> <laughs> Please, please come back and join us. For the listeners, please watch Ben's YouTube channel and have a look at his book, Handcuffed Emotions. It was top of the Amazon charts earlier this year. Thanks for joining us, Ben. Please come back and see us. Ben Pearson, everyone. Thank you.